Mark's Gospel, chapter 5. <clears throat> I want the Lord helping me, the Lord willing. Um, I may need two evenings, we'll see how we get on. Uh, I want to speak on the title, When Legion Met the Lord. When Legion Met the Lord. And they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwellings among the tombs and no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains and the chains had been plucked asunder by him and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thy Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thy unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountain a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they, and they came, come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil And had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil. And also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And when he was come into the ship. He that had been possessed with the devil prayed that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not but saith unto him. Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel. We'll stop there. Keep your Bible open, please, at that portion of Scripture, for we will be referring to it in the Lord's will. But let us pray. Father, We ask you now just to settle us. We ask you, Father, to speak to us. And we ask you, Lord, just to minister your word to our hearts. Use these lips of clay and use this man of frail dust. And we ask you, Lord, that you would use me for your honor and glory, bringing all things to my remembrance, that Jesus may be exalted and magnified in this place. Lord, we do love you. Unashamed to say it. We're unashamed to proclaim it, that we love you, Lord, with all that we have and all that we are. 
We thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb which was shed for us. Even as we have been singing, a great sufficient sacrifice through the Lord Jesus Christ. In his name we ask it, Father, and for his glory. Amen. Amen. After a, a troublesome, testing, a terrifying, and a trying night on a turbulent sea and a tremendous storm, the disciples eventually, as it were, run their ship aground and step on to the shore. They surely had tasted the relief of it when Christ had calmed the storm. But even greater would be the relief as they stepped off that ship and on to the beach. And onto that shore, the sensation that they would have, the thankfulness in their hearts of feeling the sand again between their toes and the steady weight of firm stability as gravity would be wet upon their legs once more as they touched down upon terra firma. You imagine these disciples tossed and turned that night, fear gripping their hearts, and even the fear must have taken a lot out of them physically. And now eventually, even though Christ had come and calmed the storm and settled things for them, they're delighted to get on to the other side and they'll arrive at the place called the Gadarenes. First one tells us, and they came over onto the other side of the sea into the country of the Gadarenes. The relief that these men had felt, the joy in their hearts, the security of knowing again they were on dry land, the tranquil rest in their hearts and their minds would soon be broken by the yells, the screams, and the cries of a demoniac man coming toward them. Verse 2 of our reading tells us, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now note that. Out of the ship comes Christ. Out of the tombs comes the demoniac legion as we come to know him. Notice again, when he was come out of the ship, immediately, as soon as Christ had appeared, as soon as he came out of the ship and set his foot upon the ground, the screams and the, the, the cryings and the, the loudness start getting more and increasing as this man comes screaming down toward him. And I'm sure that tranquil peace in the hearts of the disciples started to waver, to disappear, and to dissipate as this man got closer. Notice what it says in verse 2. Out of the ship and out of the tomb. Out of the ship comes Christ and immediately out of the tombs come a man with an unclean heart. Christian, be aware. Be aware, Christian, that wherever Christ is, there will always be opposition to him. Be aware, Christian, that where his word is preached faithfully, out of the tombs will come opposition. And be aware, Christian, where there is a witness for Christ and the testimony of his person, his power, and the saving grace, there will always come an opposition 
out of, as it were, the tombs. Where there is a Christian taking their stand against sin in our nation, against idolatry and immorality and perversion and corruption. Mark my words, as soon as you start to proclaim Christ in all his fullness and deity, mark my words, out of the tombs will come the unclean spirits in men and also in the spiritual realm against you. Notice also that where there is a preacher of righteousness, of sanctification and right living, as he calls even men and women, men and women who profess Christ, but yet live like the unsaved, or live like demons and devils the rest of the week, notice you'll find that out of the tombs will come those who are unhappy, as though they're filled with an unclean spirit, not wanting to hear what they need to hear, but wanting to hear what they wish to hear. Notice the word of God is quick and powerful, and it is sharper than any two-edged sword. And notice when you hear the word, you'll always hear Christ to the faithful heart and hear Christ from a faithful preacher. Christ is the center of glory. Christ is the center of our redemption. Christ is the center of the universe. Christ is the center of all creation, for he spoke it forth. And Christ is the center of all we are and all that we have to do. But mark my words, when a man or a woman start to promote Christ, to proclaim Christ and all his beauty and all his glory, his saving grace, his keeping power, or praying for the sick, whether it be in a workplace or whether it be in a shopping mall or whether it be in a supermarket or whether it be in another place of, of someone's home, you'll always find that the devil will come that demons will appear unclean spirits in the hearts of men and women who want nothing to do with the Savior. It's up to you, Christian, to take your stand. It's up to you, Christian, to call them out. It's up to you, Christian, to promote Christ, to proclaim Christ, to preach Christ, to live Christ. And all that Christ is in you, show it in your life. And don't be worried when you get opposition, for Christ got all the opposition that any man had ever had. Out of the ship comes the Lord Jesus Christ, and immediately out of the tombs comes a man with an unclean spirit. He comes out of the tomb of despair. Out of the tombs will come people of the tomb of political correctness out of the tomb of humanism, out of the tomb of secularism, out of the tomb of unbelief, out of the tomb of ecumenicalism, out of the tomb of the dead, out of the tomb of those who would have us to join together and be multi-faith and multicultural in our faith, out of the tomb of no separation from the world, out of the tombs will come the evil spirits the unclean devils and men and women. And even when you're praying, wanting that person to do the best and to have the best, be aware that there will always be someone that will come out off the tomb of unbelief with an unclean spirit. Don't be worried and don't be afraid, but take your stand for Christ. 
Take your stand in the workplace and take your stand at home. Take your stand in the supermarket and take your stand in the street. Take your stand in the church buildings. I went to preach a few years ago at a church not too far from here. And the people who were even singing in a choir weren't even saved. And it says, if he comes here, then we're going to stand outside it when he comes in. And that's the truth. They said, if he comes here to preach the gospel to us, out of the tombs came the unclean spirit. This is in a church. If he comes and preaches the gospel, we will stand outside and picket the very church that we say we belong to. Take your stand, Christian, for the gospel of Jesus Christ, for the healing power of God. Take your stand for the blood and the book. Take your stand no matter where you are, for your God is bigger than the devils who come against you. Here we have, here we have an unclean spirit coming in the form of a person toward the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's something I found strange. The disciples are with him and no doubt get out to pull the boat ashore, to run it aground for the Lord, the master of glory, to step out and onto the shore. But the unclean spirit didn't come out when the apostles were there or the, the men who would become the apostles. The unclean spirit waited until Christ had stepped forth in cleanness of you. And you may be a Christian, and there are many Christians who say they live for Christ, but people cannot see it in you, so there's no opposition to you. But once you start showing Christ in the life, Christ in the heart, Christ in your mannerisms, Christ in your speech, you'll find opposition. And many Christians say this to me. They say, well, I'd rather live the quiet life, pastor. Well, I tell you, brother, I tell you, sister, I'd rather live in opposition to the devil than live with the devil. And I'll tell you that. Take your stand for Christ. These men get out of the boat, walking with Christ, but... The devil is not interested. Legion has no personal ilk with them. He wants to see Jesus. That he may come out in opposition. I'm told just this week there was a Baptist pastor in Bonbridge Town was at a school meeting and preached against uh, or, or told against or had spoken against homosexuality and the open perversion of it. And he spoke against the, the same sex marriage as far as I'm told. And yet he was pulled across the coals and got himself into deep, dark trouble for it. In a land and in a city or a town that proclaims to have a church in every corner. I'll stand with that man. I'll stand with that man. I'll go down and support that Baptist pastor. Because he is taking his stand and out of the tombs, a man who wasn't even there, who heard him speaking, he is the one who brought the charge against him. Out of the tombs comes a man with an unclean spirit. Homosexuality is an unclean spirit. You're not born that way. It's an unclean spirit. Homosexuality same-sex marriage and all the perversion that goes with that sort of a lifestyle is not of God. God did not make a man to lie with man. Take your stand for Christ. 
Take our stand in the workplace. Don't shush, shush, mealy-mouthed Christian. Stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. When he comes out of the ship, immediately out of the tombs, comes a man with an unclean spirit. In Matthew's gospel, we see the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 23. And the Lord Jesus is speaking to the the Jewish, if I can call it, church leaders of their day. These men were Babylonian, Talmudic, uh, religious nutcases. And listen to what he says in Matthew 24. And let your eye run down to verse 25. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup, and off the platter, but within they are full of, of extortion and excess. Thy blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribe and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye blind, because ye build the tomb of the prophets and garnish the sepulchres of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our father, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Notice what he says. Ye, are vipers, ye are off your father, the devil, he calls them. He says, you're full of dead men's bones, whited sepulchers, you look the part, you wear the garb, you look so great, oh, I'm so righteous and full of piety. He says, but within, you're full of dead men's bones. The whited sepulcher, I'm told, when it was feast day, especially Passover. Many little graves were along the sides of the road of the poor. Joseph of Arimathea, where Christ had his grave, uh, that borrowed tomb, that, that, that was in a beautiful garden because Joseph of Arimathea was a rich tin merchant. But we're told that the, 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 the people who were uh, a poor went outside the city and, and the main roads, they would have built off the roads in the fields. They would have uh, dug little graves and had little marks uh, uh, rocks to mark where they were. And as they got richer, the tombs got building bigger. And what they done, they got a whitewash and they whitewashed it. Because people were thronging in with their lamb to, to, to make a sacrifice unto God for their sin. And sometimes if there wasn't a stone that was whitewashed, no one could see it. And people tripped over and fell into the tomb or fell on top of the tomb or fell upon the grave and were told that they whitewashed them. In other words, they were saying, here's a grave, don't come here. Look how we're standing out above all others. And they got their great tombs and they started to whitewash them so they would glisten and glean in the sunlight. It's a sign of piety. It's a sign of look how well and righteous I am. And the Lord says, that's who you are on the outside, but see if I open the door of a tomb no matter how much it's painted. 
you can have the whitewash of religion, the whitewash of denominationalism, and the whitewash of good works, and the whitewash of Romanism. You can have the whitewash of it all, but within he says, you're full of dead men's bones. Brothers and sisters, there are many who claim to know Christ, but within they're full of dead men's bones. They have never had a born-again, blood-washed experience at the foot of the old rugged cross. You know, just this morning, there's been a, a, a list put up at the back of the church of those politicians who have voted against same-sex marriage, and you can read it there. And I was troubled because I heard of a friend of mine who's a pastor, well, a, a, an associate of mine who's a pastor, and he, and he put up, I'm voting for the Alliance Party. <laughs> Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. One, the Alliance Party and their ways tore down our flag. Secondly, the Alliance Party and our ways, they promoted same-sex marriage. Thirdly, the Alliance Party and their cohorts and all of their party. And people don't like me talking this. This is the truth of the Word of God. These people, not only do they support same-sex marriage, but many in their party have upheld the abortion of babies. And people say, don't speak like that anymore, Pastor, because it's not politically correct. I've said it before. I don't want to be politically correct. I want to be BC, publicly correct. May God forgive our nation. May God forgive our people. May God forgive this land of ours who knew so well the gospel of saving grace in our Lord Jesus Christ and the law of God. Notice this. Out of the tombs comes a man with an unclean spirit as soon as Christ appears. And you mark my words as soon as you go out there now and you mention the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will find one thing. That won't take long that out of the tombs, even immediately, there will be the demonic spirits and men and women who will stand against you. Here's a lovely pointer. Moving on. That was very solemn bit, wasn't it? (laughs) Moving on. Here's another lovely pointer. There met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Now you and I seeing this and seeing men and women in their addictions and with their problems and whether it be physical, mental or whatever the problem may be, many of us see a maniac, a troublemaker, a demoniac, a a dangerous character. We may see an outcast, what we'd call a weirdo. And we think nothing of them. We see a worthless waste of space and of our time if we were to minister into their lives or minister unto them. The Holy Ghost says they're met him, the Lord Jesus, out of the tombs, a man which had an unclean spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, you and I, we tend to look at such a person as this man with an unclean spirit and shun him, shun her out of the way. But God sees first, notice, first and foremost, he sees a man before he sees the unclean spirit. He sees a man before he sees an unclean spirit. There was a man which had an unclean spirit. Let me give you an example. 
For our Lord sees not the man and wants nothing to do with him or her. But here in this instance, he sees a man. He sees a soul. He sees a person. He sees a great need. And he sees one that he can meet. And if that's you tonight, God sees you in your need, your great need. And maybe only he can need it, whether it is in the healing of the body. Or whether it is the salvation of a soul. Christ alone can meet that need and he is more than able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ever ask or think of him. Here's an example, Luke chapter 7, and we have, let me just paraphrase it, there was a woman who was a sinner, she was a a woman, a lady of the night we would call her, a harlot, Simon the self-religious, self Self-centered Pharisee brings Jesus to his home for dinner because, you know, it, it would be cool in his eyes to have Christ at home. Now, some people just like the people of, of, who are well-respected and high up, who have authority in the community. I'll bring them to my home, but don't bring the alcoholic and don't bring the drug addict and don't bring the person that I don't think fit enough for my company. But here he brings Christ and thinking he'll do miracles and hear some great wonders from him. And a woman, a poor woman with an alabaster box of ointment carries it across the town to pour it over Christ. This Pharisee wouldn't even wash the feet of Jesus. What an opportunity he's missed. What an opportunity was missed by Simon the Pharisee. What an opportunity was missed that he did not get down on bended knee and wash the beautiful feet of the master. And oh, how many times do we miss? How many times do you and I miss a wonderful opportunity to get down and bend at knee to wash the feet of the master with our tears of worship, with our prayers of adoration? This woman comes across with this alabaster box and as she enters in, she breaks it and, and she also ministers to our Lord and she cries over him and she washes his feet. It says in Luke chapter 7 and verse 37, a woman in the city which was a sinner. Now you notice who she is before she comes to Christ. The Lord's telling us she's a woman, sees the person, sees the soul, loves her. The Holy Ghost loves her. Wants you and I to love her. Wants you and I to love that man, that person, whether they, whether they be of a different persuasion or not, to see if we can minister to their lives, to take away these unclean spirits. And this woman comes who's a sinner and she starts ministering on to Christ. And as she does, Simon the Pharisee, well, he's not happy at all. She's stealing his thunder. Look at my house. Look how righteous I am, Jesus. Look, see me in my nice suit tonight. See me in my nice shirt, my nice tie, Jesus. Do you see me? I'm talking about myself here, brothers and sisters. Do you see me in my nice shoes there, you know? And they're nice and polished there. You know, I'm thy righteous. Does it make me look like a Christian? I'm a Christian because Christ lives in me. The suit's got nothing to do with it. Christ lives in me. If I stood up here with a pair of jeans and a a torn t-shirt splattered in paint, I'm still a Christian. I just like wearing suits. He stands there 
See how polite and pious I am. And this woman comes in who's a sinner, falls at his feet and ministers to him. She didn't miss the opportunity. She knew the necessity. Verse 44. Oh, this is a beautiful picture. She's ministered to him and Simon the Pharisee saying, Oh, if you knew what manner of woman this is that touches you. We're told in verse 44, And he, the Lord Jesus, turned to the woman and said, Simon, sayest thou this woman? <laughs> notice, notice the picture here. Notice he, Jesus is looking. He's looking at the woman. But he's talking to Simon. His eyes are fixed on the woman who worshipped him. His eyes are fixed and focused on the woman who gave to him. His eyes are fixed and focused on the woman who came in and went on bended knee and did not miss the opportunity of him. And he's looking at her, the eyes of Christ. Yet his voice is towards Simon. He says, Simon, can you see this woman? You see the picture? He didn't even look at the false piety. He looked at what the woman gave him. And he looked at the heart of worship. He says, Simon, sinner, can you see this woman? He didn't see her sin. He's seen her cleansed. He's seen her forgiven. And she went away so in Jesus' name. A little illustration This man comes running down the shore toward Christ. We're told this man in verse 3 dwelt in the tombs. We're told that no man could bind him, no not with chains. Now notice this, no man could bind him, no not with chains. The word here for chains is the word is alusus. And it comes from two words. One is alpha, al and alpha and lu, which means to loose, but put together, it's a compound word, and it gives the idea as a chain, which cannot be loosed at all. The binding of it, this chain is a chain which cannot be loosed at all. Let me strengthen what I'm trying to say here. It means that this man, who received superhuman strength through a demonic spirit, but was under the authority, the control and the power of the Spirit and even the strength of men and their fetters and their chains could not hold him. In other words, the strength of men was nothing in compared to the strength of the legion. And there are men and women who are dicing with death, dealing with the devil, thinking they can go and do palm reading. Christian, if you're going to palm readers, you should not be going to palm readers. You should not be having anything to do spiritually except when you worship God in spirit and in truth. And they go to tarot reading. And there's Christians and they go to these places almost like a witch gets out her crystal ball. The word of God says that these necromancers and these wizards and these witches are not even to be allowed in our nation. Never mind for a Christian to go to visit them. Here we have this means to bind. And this 
Man was bound by super, by human strength, but superhuman strength from the demonic forces was able to overcome even that which man thought he had well bound. Look at verse 4 with me. Because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Notice the words fetters and chains. Bound with fetters and chains. The idea here of fetters and chains being bound with it. When you go into the the Greek New Testament and the reading and the richness of it, this is the idea and the conclusion which it comes to. It gives the idea of a well done and a completed work. Note that now. Take a mental note. Write it down. It gives the idea of a, a well done and a completed work. In other words, the word fetters here is the word peed. And it gives a, it comes from the word which simply means shackle for feet. Uh, the word peed comes from the word pisa, which means foot or instep. So it means these shackles were on his feet, or these feeters, fetters were on his feet. And by the way, the word for foot or feet that we use in English is the old Anglo-Saxon word, which is the word fot or fet for your foot. We would say in Ulster, I hurt my foot. I hurt my foot. Well, Belfast is saying anyway. Who says that? Or who? Well, maybe won't admit to it. I was going to say, who says that? I hurt my foot. And the word foot or fet is an old Anglo-Saxon word. And of course, many of our descendants have come uh, from that stock. Notice this. Notice this. The word foot and fet in the plural is the word fetter or feeter. In other words, to tie up the feet. To tie up the thoughts or the feet. And so the idea here is bringing this word right out. Behold that he was, he was, he had fetters and chains. It gives the idea hand to hand, foot to foot, that it was a done and a completed work and it was well done. And the people stood back and said, this demoniac, he'll never get out of this. But the old devil had him. And he broke them as if they were broken in two. Uh, like burnt cords would just fall asunder and go into powder. He broke it all up by his own superhuman strength, as it were, given by the power of legion. Here's something for you, Christian, to take home with you tonight. If the devil, if a demon can cause a man and a woman to do wonders and miracles and superhuman feats, then how about the Holy Ghost in the life of a saved person? Think about it. How about the Holy Ghost? You know why I believe many of us do not see it as the Holy Ghost moving in such power and glory? Because we don't believe it. Simple as that. Oh, the devil can do it. But calm the Spirit of the Lord. Notice this. He was well and truly bound to the point of even the impossibility of being loosed. He was bound hand and foot. That's what this word meant. He plucked them asunder and they were broken in pieces by him. Now look at verse 5. And always night and day. He was in the tombs, in the mountains, and in the tombs crying and cutting himself. 
The word crying here is the word crazy. And you can get the idea where our word crazy comes from. As though he was crazy. But it means so much more than that. Please uh, bear with me a moment. Please draw in close for me because this is important, what I'm going to say. I'm going to round this point up and then I'll let you, uh, I will get the singers to sing again. We'll praise and we'll go home. I'll, I'll do another night. The word crying here, and always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. The word here, crazo, means an inarticulate cry. An inarticulate cry. It can be a shriek or loud screaming. Now get this man here. The inarticulate cry means an, a cry incapable of being expressed by any kind of words. Can you see this poor soul? Is it any wonder the Lord had seen him a man with an unclean spirit? Is it any wonder Christ came and went to the Gadarenes? He knew that man was on the other side and he'd step out and meet him and set him free. Is it any wonder when men and women come in with alcoholism and drug addiction and, and women come in with the same problems and, and fully see the Christ of God, the Lamb of God, burning away their sin upon Calvary's tree and shedding their blood, shedding his blood that they may be saved and and the fetters are broken and the chains are gone and the addictions are no more. Is it any wonder, friend, that men and women, when they fall beneath the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, they're set free because Christ has brought them to that place. He's brought them to his feet because they're at the feet of Jesus. We submit ourselves unto him. Problem with many people who claim Christ have never submitted themselves to the Lordship of Christ. It means this man was crying with an inarticulate cry, a cry incapable of being expressed by words. And let me give you a wee example of this. In Matthew 27, and verse 23, just for time's sake, let me just round it off and you can read it, mark it and read it when you go home. Matthew 27. The Lord has been tried all night, arrested in Gethsemane. He's been tried all night and he's brought out before a baying Jewish mob. Now you see when we hear of, the, of this pharisaical, uh, Judaistic people crying for the crucifixion of Christ. And Pilate says, whom will I release unto you? And they cry for him. And see when he brings them out and they cry, crucify him, crucify him, or away with this man. We like to think it was only said once or twice, away with him. Go on, it's just a wee number here. We want him away. That's not the way it reads in the Greek New Testament. Now listen carefully to the way it reads. It gives the idea that the whole of the square and all of the town were coming together and all with one accord were threatening a riot if they didn't have him crucified. You can see on news bulletins over in the Middle East the way Damascus is and Homs and all those sort of places and, and Egypt and Cairo and all the crowds filling the squares and they're pulling things down and threatening a rat and they bring the arm. It was like that on a smaller scale because Jerusalem had lesser then. That's the idea of it. And there he is, a beautiful, sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
and are baying for his blood. His blood be on us and upon our children. And the idea here in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 23 is this. It says, they cried out the more, let him be crucified. And the idea is they cried it out and 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 they cried it out. Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. Let him be crucified. The whole crowd were crying it until you couldn't express it with words. The sound it brought forth. Inexpressible voices crying for the blood of Jesus. That's the idea of it. We get this little Hollywoodized, mongrelized version where they stand and say, Oh, let him be crucified. Uh, two or three from the crowd. They bayed for his blood. Here's another one Matthew 27, verse 50, the crucified Christ. The crucified Christ. Matthew 27 and verse 50 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Yielded up the ghost. Here when he cried with a loud voice, it's the same word crazo. Now, it doesn't, it's depending on, on the tense. Here it does not mean that he was screaming. But the cry, he let out a yell. We know there were seven words or sayings from the cross. We know the, all of those things that he had said, but here the idea is, after he had said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, before he yields up the ghost and leaves himself into the hands of his Father, we're told that this cry here, there was a cry as though you couldn't put it into words because it was Almighty God himself crying among the people of Jerusalem and over the city walls into the temple. No man could understand that word. I'll give you one more before we shut up here. I mean, shut up, or me. <laughs> yeah, me shut up too. John chapter 7, verse 37 Feast of Tabernacles, the last day of the feast. It was a great day. And we're told that Christ comes and the last day and they're all, the priests are bearing golden pictures on their shoulders filled with water to pour over the sacrifices that were made. And there was the blood and there was the water to wash it all away. And when he come, when they come to do this, everyone stood in a solemn assembly. Not a voice was heard. We're told as the priests bear it on. The shoulders and poured it out, the trumpets would blow, the shofar would blow. And as it blew, it filled the whole of the place where they were standing, and everyone would start to cheer. Everyone would start to shout to the glory of Yahweh. There was a rapturous applause on that day. And in John 7 and 37, we're told that Jesus stood and cried. Notice saying, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. You see, here is a, another 
version of this word crazo. He didn't yell, but the idea is there was a cry from one man which overcame all men and no one could make it out because it was so indescribable. The call of God to the hearts of men and women. If any man thirsts, we can understand it, but the tones of it, the power of it, the regeneration of it. Let him come on to me and drink. As the scripture has said, he that believeth in me, uh, uh, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Is there any wonder? The church of Jesus Christ is looking again for the sound of a trumpet. The voice of many waters which John saw in the book of Revelation, heard in the book of Revelation as he turned around to see the voice. This is the idea. Now this man in the tombs comes out with such a voice. Those disciples were standing saying, whoa, what is this noise? This man's pain and sorrow and torment and hurt and suffering was unimaginable. It was inarticulate. It was indescribable. It was unexplainable. It was continual and perpetual. It was unrelenting because verse 5 tells us and always. Notice, and always. Night and day. He was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. So when Jesus steps out of the ship onto the shore, immediately... Immediately, this man with the screaming demons sees his salvation, sees his hope, sees his redemption, sees his healing, and he runs out with the demons that are yelling and screaming at him that Christ and Christ alone is my only hope. And friend, Whatever situation you find yourself in tonight, Christ and Christ alone is your only hope. He is your only hope of salvation. He is your only hope of forgiveness. He is your only hope for heaven. For the kingdom of God. And he comes again. We're told that This man, when he goes to the Lord, it says in verse 6, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. (laughs) Just to catch a glimpse of Christ. Sometimes in your darkest night, the, the dimmest of lights in the distance will give you hope will give you direction, will give you a pointer where to go. And this man out of the tomb comes when he's seen Christ come out of the ship and Legion met the Lord Jesus. May God bless his word to us. Thank you for your attention. Time is really running on.